everybody. So right off the top, I just wanted to let you know that I added some audio content here. I had a conversation with my sister where I got her opinions of the first season and a half of Your Honor up until this point, but also had a longer conversation in which I discussed Bad Sisters on Apple TV+, Plus, a show I just recently caught up on, and it's really, truly excellent. So if you are here for the Bad Sisters conversation and are not watching Your Honor, jump ahead to 41 minutes in. That's when we start that conversation. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I'll be breaking down the latest episode of Your Honor, simply called Part 16, the sixth episode of this second and final season of the series. We will be covering this show for the next four episodes after this one, at which time the series will end, and we will segue directly into Yellow Jackets, also on Showtime, beginning the very subsequent week. Also, after our simultaneous wrap-up of The Last of Us, the very successful HBO show that we're covering here in parallel, we'll also be covering Succession. So big happenings here on the podcast, two very highly anticipated series coming right after these very successful shows as well. In the meantime, we'll be covering other topics here as well. We continue to watch the very entertaining Poker Face, already picked up for season two. We'll probably do a deeper dive into the series at episode nine, which is when Ryan Johnson returns as writer and director. So do catch up. I think we're on episode seven this week. The last couple of episodes, subpar for the show, but still solidly entertaining. But episode nine will probably be where we have a deeper conversation here on the podcast about it. And also discussing Shrinking, the Apple TV Plus comedy drama series from some of the same creative forces behind Ted Lasso, which of course will wrap up the week of Ted Lasso's return, something we will also be discussing here to some extent here on the podcast. I believe that's March 12th, so stay tuned for that. Ted Lasso is coming back for its third season, possibly last season, and along the way, just a couple of other shows I'll be watching and covering here on the podcast. Next week, The Consultant on Amazon Prime, a darkly comic thriller slash horror series starring Christoph Waltz, which for me is giving me some severance vibes from its trailer. And the following week also on Amazon Prime, Daisy Jones and the Six, also based on a book, the story of a fictional band, a music drama, which spans their rocky relationship through the 60s and 70s, an era of music that I really appreciate. And this show looks like a lot of fun exploring that time period. I also had promised to have some Valentine's Day recommendations, and I did record a segment of some unconventional romantic comedies, mostly sci-fi and horror related. But given that I noticed people were seeming to catch up on the previous two episodes, probably because of the Super Bowl, also because of Valentine's Day distractions, throughout the course of the week, I didn't want to drop yet another episode. So that segment will be appended to the front of the Last of Us episode, which should be published on Monday. So if you were looking for those recommendations, do check out that episode. Whether you're watching The Last of Us or not, it will be at the top of the episode, so you can skip the recap after, if necessary. So on to my recommendations this week. After a very short theatrical run, a film called Sharper has premiered on Apple TV+. Sharper apparently is a term that means a con person. I was not aware of this definition until this movie. And this film stars Sebastian Stan, Justice Smith, Brianna Middleton, Julianne Moore, and features a small part for John Lithgow as well. 
and I recommend this with a minor caveat. I do like, in general, films about con people. I like to see a con clicking into place. There's something very fun about seeing a con playing out, or even maybe sometimes even more so, one failing miserably once we know how it's supposed to go. And I would recommend, don't even see the trailer for this, by the way. I watched it with, I only saw the trailer after the fact. And even knowing the basic premise of the con is kind of a spoiler because the way that the story is structured is we simply get introduced to a character. We see a title card, we get introduced to a character, and then we see events play out from their point of view. And then we see another title card and we're introduced to that character yet again, we're reintroduced to a character and discover more about who they are. But of course, we never know the whole truth because these are all cons and they're all conning each other. And there's layer upon layer of these cons throughout the course of the film, which makes this very entertaining to watch. It's also very stylish. There is a dark and brooding tone to the cinematography. There is this synthy score, which is very moody. If anything, it feels almost like a light version of a Nicholas Winding Refn thriller. And maybe because of that, I had an expectation that things were going to take some kind of wild turn towards the end. And what I would say is that's maybe my only complaint about the film. The ending is totally satisfying. It does not leave any ambiguity. But in the end, I feel like the film isn't really about anything other than the con itself. And it is totally successful at that. It is a lot of fun to watch. But it really felt at some point, maybe credit to the execution especially the cinematography and the music, that this felt like it was going to be more substantive than it was. And I really feel like there's kind of a missed opportunity here with some work on the ending. They could have really made this film about something and about something very interesting. But as it is, it simply is a pretty lightweight con movie, but a lot of fun to watch. And especially, as I mentioned, the revelation of the story, just in the way it's structured, that as you find out a little bit more about each character, we understand the con a little bit better, but still there's always this mystery as to what's actually going on. And that could have been much more interestingly explored, but it turns out that's not the film this is, but still very entertaining. And I would recommend it. If you like films about con people, this is a solid one. And there's not a lot of these anymore. It's not as great as like The Sting, for example, or as entertaining, but for something that you could just watch if you have Apple TV Plus, I definitely recommend this. This is a fun watch. And maybe next time, something a little more interesting. And as I mentioned, one of the key players here is Justice Smith. And as soon as I watched this film, it made me think about another psychological drama that I had seen relatively recently within the past year. And it's called The Voyeurs, and it's available on Amazon Prime. This is a different genre. This is an old school erotic thriller. And it makes no bones about it. This is what a generation ago would have been a straight to Cinemax film, but it is stylishly produced, very visually sophisticated, has some symbolism here that is pretty fascinating to watch. And similarly, as you're watching it, you probably get your hopes up that you're going to get something a little more substantial by the end of it. And the film turns out to be not a very substantial film at all, but a very entertaining one. And if you think that Sharper might disappoint a little bit by not going way over the top in the finale, well, this film goes way over the top in the finale. The Voyeurs has a crazy, crazy ending. If you'll enjoy these trashy, a little bit horny thrillers, then this is a fun one. Justin Smith and Sidney Sweeney from Euphoria and The White Lotus, season one, play a young, naive couple who get to stay in this beautiful loft apartment, rear window style apartment. And it turns out they're looking upon their neighbors, a photographer and his model wife, and they are a very horny couple. 
And we see this photographer even seducing other models. And this spices up the relationship of our naive young couple. And then at one point, when Sydney Sweeney's character starts to inject herself into the lives of this couple, things start getting more complicated. If that sounds tantalizing to you, it is a lot of fun to watch. It looks great. Sydney Sweeney is beautiful. If you're a fan of hers, she plays a very different character than she does on, for example, The White Lotus. And I think maybe when I was introduced to this actress in Euphoria, I thought she was kind of a limited actress based on that performance. What it turns out is that she actually is a very versatile performer and very different in each one of these roles. And here she is yet again playing a different type of character. So this is a lot of fun. And if you do miss these type of erotic thrillers from the 80s and 90s, this is not going to make the cut of classics in this genre. But considering how few of them we get nowadays, this is definitely fun. And I do hope we see more of this in the future. This also very much reminded me of a better film available on HBO Max called Kimmy, which non-erotic thriller, but does have these elements of rear window like the voyeurs. So maybe that's your triple feature if you'd like to settle in for some psychological thrillers over the weekend. They all have their flaws, but they're all entertaining, especially if you do like this genre. And that once again is Sharper on Apple TV+, The Voyeurs on Amazon Prime, and Kimmy on HBO Max. Okay, so on to the breakdown of part 16, the most recent episode of Your Honor. These docks are how I ran the city. Nothing came in or out unless I signed off. That's how I controlled everything. You're reluctant to share them because you don't want to lose control. Here's the difference between my control and your control. Your control is a figment of your imagination. I see you in your press suits in your pristine hotels. It's just an act designed to fool one person. You trade on my name and my reputation, and you act like a gangster when it's convenient. And then you tell yourself, I'm just a businessman. You, you were very good at what you did. So am I. My restaurants, my businesses, my pristine hotels have made you a very rich man. So have some respect for what I do. We're picking up immediately after last episode. Michael is still in the interrogation room with Nancy Costello. He says to her, I'm not your common everyday criminal. You're, you haven't booked me yet. You don't have anything to arrest me on. Why are you doing this? She does, however, show him one piece of evidence. He lied about his location on the day of his wife's murder. And he's talking to a man called Kenneth, who we discover over the course of the episode, is the man that Robin was having the affair with. He mocks her a little bit, says, you know, it's interesting. It only took you two years to come up with the jealous husband theory. She turns it around on him saying, well, I thought you were a better man back then. Elizabeth picks up Michael from the police station and he tells her what happened. Meanwhile, he's texting with Olivia and texts her an expletive that gets auto-corrected to duck you. Something that happens to me all the time, by the way, <laughs> which maybe speaks to the fact that I maybe am texting that word too often. Elizabeth admits to him that he, she did suspect at some point that he might have been behind Robin's murder, but decided against it, that that just wasn't the person he was. She's curious as to why they suddenly suspect him now after all this time. And he does mention the photograph he saw, the evidence of him meeting with Kenneth the day of 
Robin's murder. They go out to the waterfront and meet up with Kenneth at his current home. And over the course of this conversation between the three of them, we discover a whole bunch of things. This carjacker was a sometimes informant for Kenneth, who used to be a newspaper journalist. He had this piece of information about the judge. And as a distraction, as like some leverage, he has sent the police out to Kenneth. And Kenneth provided this piece of information, this photograph from his security camera. And ironically, now these two men are each other's alibis. Even during this conversation, Michael continues to assume that Kenneth was the person that Robin was whispering to the day that she disappeared. But it turns out it wasn't him. So who could it have been? And this is where Kenneth kind of lays out what is probably going to be essential to these last four episodes of the show. He had been investigating some high-level gang hits that had been too clean, not messy enough, not characteristic enough of the usual gang warfare. There was no evidence. There were no witnesses. Very clean in and out assassinations, which made everyone suspect that the police were involved in some way. But there was one witness. His name was KJ. Michael and Elizabeth head out to where KJ used to work. There's a woman there who acts like she doesn't know what they're talking about. But eventually, Elizabeth makes a very impassioned plea and convinces this woman behind the counter to reach out to KJ. And Elizabeth and Michael wait for him to hopefully arrive. Meanwhile, Monique has the same problem she had last week. She still has no heroin to sell on the streets. What she does have is the fentanyl-laced heroin that was killing people. So how does she solve this problem? With Lil Mo gone, her new right-hand man, Chris, mentions that what they have to do is they need to cut it. They need to cut it real thin and they're going to sell it around town. They're not going to sell it just in their neighborhood. They're going to spread it around. So the high won't be as high, but hopefully no one ODs. And if they do OD, they'll OD far away from their doorstep so that it won't blow back on them. Unfortunately, during this conversation or soon thereafter, Chris's younger brother shows up and unbeknownst to anybody has taken one of the balloons of the laced heroin with him. Meanwhile, we see the return of Joey, played by Jet Chet Hanks. I think the first time we've seen him this whole entire season. He's still strung out, still a heroin addict, and looking for a fix in the streets, and no one wants to sell to him. He sneaks up on the Desire Gang headquarters, looking for someone to sneak him a fix of heroin. And while he's snooping around, he just happens to see Eugene, who's still there, still holed up until the night where he's supposed to jump on a bus and head back to Houston. He snaps his picture and heads out. Monique gives Eugene a stack of cash and tells him there's no strings attached. He says there's always strings attached, but she says, nope, not this time. You earned this. Eugene makes a plea for her to take it easy on little Mo and to be good to her sister who's been so kind to him. And she basically says, it's none of your business. Are you done with your sermon? Meanwhile, lots of doings over at the Baxter clan. Carmine wants to bring in more mob money. Jimmy needs that money because now the waterfront project seems bigger than ever and they need more cash. Jimmy worries about Carmine getting too involved in this deal and wanting to take control again. And he especially does not like the idea that these folks would be using his ports to bring in drugs. Carmine explains to Jimmy how it really is. Jimmy wants to believe that he's just an honest businessman and he can act like a gangster every once in a while. So a characterization, by the way, that I had earlier this very season in this recap. But he reminds him, you're just as much as a criminal as I am. You need the Calabri's money. And through your docks, they will bring in drugs. They will bring in crime. They will bring in women and girls, human beings sold into servitude to other human beings. 
through this city will pass all manner of evil because of you. You think you're better than me, you fucking son of a bitch? No, 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 Jimmy. I'm done watching you lie to yourself. You are nothing but a thug, just like me. You're a thug just like me. Don't fool yourself. Meanwhile, Carlo has run to his mommy to tell her that dad cut him out of the meeting with the other family. She's going to have to talk to him about that. They leave Carlo in charge of babysitting little Rocco. He gets bored instantly and decides to have the Kochek girl, who he's having some fling with, to come up to meet him at Sophia's hotel room. Sophia and Gina have been meeting with this young priest. He actually makes a pretty good pitch about the baptism. She's obviously not a believer. And he says, that's not what this is about. It's about restating your commitment to your family and to tradition. And there's some shots here where Sophia is longingly looking at this young priest. And I'm wondering, is there some chemistry here? What's going to happen? <laughs> I hope this isn't going to be yet another fling she's going to get herself into. Although given the pace of the clock on this show at this moment, I think this show is not going to last much longer. I mean, in the time of the show, I think we have days left of all these storylines. As I mentioned, Carlo's back at the hotel, babysitting, when Joey reaches out to him. Carlo is not happy to see him and actually starts beating him up and has just left baby Rocco with this Kochek girl. But Joey says, I have a piece of information. Eugene, that kid, the kid who tried to kill you, he's still alive and shows him the photograph. Carlo, truly his mother's son, without notifying anybody, jumps in the car and they head over to the Desire headquarters. They're parked up the street when they see Eugene being led out to the car, presumably to be driven out to the bus station. Joey keeps saying, hey, I could ram the car right now. And Carlo's like, what are you talking about? We can't ram the car right now. But apparently he does indeed eventually ram the car (laughs) while he's tailing it. And I think he kills himself. Maybe this is truly the last time we'll see Chet Hanks on this show. He's been ejected over the steering wheel. You got to wear your seatbelt, bro. You got to wear your seatbelt, especially when you're trying to ram another car. In the aftermath of the accident, Eugene actually climbs out of the car, doesn't check in on the driver, by the way, doesn't seem to, and instead heads over to the other car where Carlo is trapped by the seatbelt in his seat, and the gun has been ejected from the car. Eugene picks up the gun, points it at his head, and I cannot believe he does not kill Carlo at this moment. He says to him, you killed my brother, your family had my mother's house blown up, you killed my whole family. But somehow he does not put a bullet in his head. He drops the gun and makes a run for it. I mean, it's probably the smart thing to do. Theoretically, yes, you might start a gang war, but it's probably going to happen anyway. And if no one, just by chance, if no one knew about this except for Carlo, you'd be covering your own tracks. Although you probably would assume at this moment, if Carlo knows, someone else knows. So maybe this is the smart thing to do, but it's not, by the way, (laughs) because they're not going to stop coming after him. KJ does eventually show up and he warns Elizabeth and Michael that they may not actually want to know the truth. It turns out he had had a relationship with a cop and had bragged to him about these killings. The night that Robin was going to meet KJ, someone in a mask turned up behind her and executed her. And he just knew this was that same detective, Detective Beckwith, who I do not think we've seen on this show before. As we get towards the end of the episode, a whole bunch of things happen here. Monique's girlfriend warns her that if she keeps turning off her heart, eventually she'll forget how to turn it back on. Meanwhile, Gina and Sophia return to the hotel room 
And where is Carlo? This poor Kochek girl has been trying to get this baby to stop crying. Detective Rudy shows up at the accident scene. And despite the driver saying he was the only one in the car, he finds Eugene's sketchbook. Elizabeth and Michael have returned home. And she says, you know what? It isn't any better knowing what actually happened. So KJ was probably right. But Michael does tell Elizabeth about her great-grandchild. And they have a warm moment between them. Terrific acting here across the board with Margot Martindale. She gets to have multiple emotional scenes here, maybe auditioning for her eventual Best Guest Star Emmy nomination later this year. Carlo's parents show up at the hospital where he's recovering from his car accident and tells Gina and Jimmy that Eugene is still alive. Carmine angrily has one more confrontation here with Jimmy, slapping him around and telling him he's too weak to do what has to get done. Frankie sees this, and when he gets Jimmy alone, starts to simultaneously plan for the future while apologizing for the fact that Joey is still alive. Jimmy doesn't want to hear anything about it and starts beating him senseless with one of the hospital trays. Is he just frustrated because of the confrontation with Carmine? Is he annoyed that Frankie is always trying to tell him how to run his business? Is he angry that Joey is still alive? I think it's a little bit of all of those things that are leading to this ass whooping. Meanwhile, we see Monique returning to the Desire headquarters. Everybody is mourning. They've just discovered that Chris's little brother had stolen the balloon of heroin and he's OD'd. And in the final moments of the episode, Michael's called Nancy Costello and informed her that the reason he never caught this killer is because he's a cop. Nancy asks Michael to head to the police department and he says he will. And in the final moments, Eugene's about to board that bus and we see that he's shot by Rudy. A couple of things here. This seems like a really stupid plan on Rudy's part. He's not wearing a mask or anything. There's plenty of witnesses here. And on top of that, he somehow did not kill <laughs> Eugene. Shot him in the shoulder. And that takes us to the end of the episode. So as I mentioned in last week's episode, we see things are picking up the pace here. Whereas the first half of the season, or most of it, has been this meditation on loss and grief. In the past couple of episodes, the pace has really picked up. Also, I'm happy. I had actually imagined at one point earlier in the episode that there would be some kind of baby formula fentanyl mix-up and that poor little Rocco was going to OD because Joey was getting to that hotel room and messing things up. Luckily, that did not turn out to be the case, although Chris's poor brother was our sacrificial lamb. And the plot here in general seems to be picking up the pace and the show is starting to feel more like the thriller it was in season one, which I am definitely here for. As a matter of fact, coming attractions for next week. We do indeed see that Eugene is not dead. He's on the run, shot in the shoulder. Michael looks like he's being tracked by one of the police officers. So is Nancy a corrupt cop? Has she sent one of these other officers out after Michael? Or now I start wondering, is Rudy one of these cops? And if that's the case, is Charlie more involved in these conspiracies from the past than we know about? That does seem a little unlikely considering Charlie wasn't in elective office at that time. But then again, Charlie was working his way up the political ranks. And as I mentioned last season, a high crime rate is always bad for Democratic candidates. And maybe he needed some crooked cops to reduce that crime rate by killing off these gang officers. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if in the world of the show, the conclusion of the season is only within the next few days. And has Gloria seen all these different moving pieces this whole entire time? And is she's going to take everybody down at the same time? That would be pretty clever. Although it would mean that our mastermind is off screen most of the time. It all remains to be seen. And we have only four more episodes 
before we get to the end. All right, Sona is on vacation, so we will not get her feedback this week, but she will be back next week with her feedback on this episode and the next episode as we get closer and closer to knowing exactly how all these pieces of the puzzle fit together. And of course, check out our continuing coverage of The Last of Us, which will once again contain those belated Valentine's Day recommendations. Right, Celia. So, Sona is in Jamaica, so could not record today. Nice. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's much more fun than we'll be talking about here today. <laughs> but uh, I figured the uh, episode with my recap, and it was like 20 minutes long, maybe a little longer, uh, because I did have a recommendation at the top, which I'll make to you here as well. There's a show on a show, I'm sorry, there's a movie on Apple TV Plus called Sharper. That is basically, don't watch the trailer, by the way, do not watch the trailer. It has Sebastian Stan from the Marvel films and uh, Julianne Moore and some ac- younger actors too, which you probably recognize, ones from uh, Jurassic Park films. It's a con movie where you never know what you're seeing. You see a title card, you see the story from one character's perspective, then you see it from another person's perspective. And basically, you know that everything you're seeing is only a little part of the truth. And uh, it's not great. But it feels like in the middle of it, it felt like the style of it. It's very moody, has a synth score. It almost felt like a winding Refn film, although not as edgy as that, but just the style of it, the mood of it. So I started thinking like, wow, is this place, is this film going to go into like a really dark direction? And it did not, but it's very satisfying. But I'd say it's a lot of fun to watch, but it could have been great. And it's not great, but I do like these type of con movies where you never know who you should trust and what's actually happening, what you're actually seeing. I find that to be a lot of fun. And there used to be more of them than there were in the past. That's my first little recommendation for you. Nice. I'm going to jump on the elliptical after this. And that's what I'm going to be doing. And it has a satisfying ending. It doesn't like uh, cheat at the end. It, it, It plays fair. A little bit of news I wanted to announce here, which is I know you've already seen Megan, but they just announced today that Megan will be premiering on Peacock next Friday. And there will be not only the PG-13 version of it, there will be the unrated version of it. And I think that is what's lacking in that film. I think I'm going to check out the unrated version of that movie because I think that's what it needed, that it didn't quite have the bite it should have had. And maybe a really over-the-top unrated version would have been the fun way to go. I guess we'll find out. I'll watch the unrated version. Yeah. I like Megan. I just thought it was, like you said, watered down. Yeah, it just felt very, it just didn't have, it wasn't scary when it could have been scary. It's actually pretty smart as far as this metaphor of outsourcing, raising your kids to technology and the risk of that. It has some pretty intelligent things to say about that, but it's not really deep. It could be deeper, but it's not that kind of movie. And it's not scary where it could be scary and it's not that funny either i feel like all of it is a little light in all those departments and i think that maybe an unrated version would be more fun so i'm going to check that out next week excellent two things i wanted to talk to you about one is this season of your honor i don't think we've spoken about it so i'm just uh today's episode but in general your feelings of this second season and also 
Bad Sisters, which I have just caught up with now that I have Apple TV Plus again. I kind of skipped it last year. It was on at the same time as The Patient. I was torn as to whether Sona and I would be covering The Patient or Bad Sisters. I decided to go with The Patient. Bad Sisters actually turned into a little bit of a hit. It's actually coming back for season two, and I don't know how that's going to happen, to be honest with you. But I just caught up on it because at the end of the year, it was on a lot of top 10 lists. I finished it. I binged it all within about a week or so, and I thought it was really good. And I know you've seen it also. So I figured we can talk about that and we'll have a general review to anybody out there who hasn't caught up on the show. And then at the very end, I do want to talk spoilers. So, but I'll warn everybody when we get the spoilers, it will be the end of the conversation. No spoilers until the end there. But first of all, what do you think of this season of Your Honor so far? I like Your Honor quite a bit. I do miss the tension of the first season. He's trying to protect his son. There's a lot of components there making him, I guess, turning him into a bad guy, really. I, I see it that way. He, he's doing so many things wrong. Everything he's doing is pretty unethical, all to save his son. And that was what I loved the most about the first season, this season's great, too, because I like him. He doesn't want to get his best friend into trouble again. And really, it's his fault he's in any kind of deep water at this point. So, But I do miss the tension with the sun. Like, I feel like last season was better. As far as season one, it's much more of a thriller. It was legitimately a thriller. Yes. And uh, this season, up until now, I mean, I do think, by the way, based on scenes from next week and, of course, this particular episode, this is going to be very fast-paced till the end of its run. It may even be like real-time, practically, that the show might be cranking up its thriller elements, which already started last week with that cliffhanger at the end, because last season was pretty much like a cliffhanger every week. So I do think that the second half of the season will be more like that, and we're in the back half now. I liked the first half of the season because I felt what was missing from the first season was any kind of depth to these characters. And we did get that, a lot of that in the first few episodes of this season, which was really more about like ruminating on, you know, the decisions, the bad things that he did last year. And can he make up for them in some way? Can he atone to his family? Can he atone to himself? Can he atone even from the point of view of like his position as a judge? Like, can he atone for all the bad things that he did last season? And you also see like in the character of Fia, who's kind of trapped in her family dynamic. And can she escape that as well? And Jimmy now too, right? Jimmy's also trapped in the circumstance. So I felt like there was a lot more of that, which I appreciate. I like that better in general. Uh, I did miss a little bit of the thriller elements. I didn't love first season, the first season. Honestly, if it didn't have a cliffhanger at the end of every, every episode, I probably would have quit on it <laughs> pretty early on. So, uh, you know, it's but it's a very different type of show. I disagree. I loved the first season. I was constantly in the state of what's going to happen next. I can't believe it. I like that feeling. I binge watched the first season. I almost couldn't shut it off. I think there was one night where I only slept like four hours and that's, I need a lot of sleep. So four hours is a huge sacrifice so I was totally hooked on the first season. This season, because I know everybody, I am definitely invested. But I miss that feeling of not even wanting to go to sleep. I can't wait till next week. Like I'm not getting that from this season. I see where you're coming from, though. Yeah. 
the first season delivered on the thrills. I just felt I didn't like any of the characters. I didn't care what happened to any of them. So it was, uh, you know, it, it was situational though, right? Like you really see these people making terrible decisions and then they can't escape them. Uh, so that was uh, interesting. Other than that, I watched it for the plot, which in general, this is something I'm discovering by covering doing this podcast, by the way, because I used to be more of a movie watcher. And now I've kind of started doing this TV watching and it's been interesting to engage with these shows as they're on the air, which is usually not what I do. I usually used to just binge a show after it was done, if I heard good things about it. And what I've realized over time is that I probably don't watch shows for the plot as much as I watch them for character. Even if something is giving me plot-wise thrills, if I don't have the character and the themes even of the show, I'm not as engaged. But this is, uh, you know, it's been an interesting balance of the show this first half because that was definitely more character driven. But now I'm totally fine with them, you know, having these cliffhangers now because I'm vested in the characters enough to see where it's going to go. And another thing I find interesting is usually I can tell, you know, at episode two where everything's going to land. It's kind of something I always end up spoiling myself, not even intentionally. I just figure things out relatively early because there's really limited things you can do and they have to set pieces up early on. So if you kind of see the signs, you kind of know where they're going. I honestly don't know what they're going to do at the end of this show. So I am curious to just figure out where is this all going? Why are we spending so much time with the Desire Gang? For example, that story is going to intersect more so with whatever is coming in the end. Just that alone, I'm just curious to know what the writers are trying to um, set up for the finale. I'm not, I, and I really don't know. I'm, I'm so, I'll, I'll be surprised by whatever it is, I'm sure. This is a good show, though, because it has a lot of plot lines going at the same time, and they are all relevant to each other. They're not just hanging threads. I'm definitely invested in the show. I'm not, like, riveted like I was last season. I mean, last season was basically this one big thing that was propelling everything else from our viewpoint. Now we have several things going on at the same time that are interconnected as a result of last season. So I'm waiting to see how it's all going to get resolved. And you're right. I don't know where it's going to go either. Yeah. So it remains to be seen. And we only have uh, four more episodes. So we are getting close to the end there. Oh, a question I have for you at the end of this particular episode, episode 16, or part 16, as it's called, the cop who was involved in the murder of the gang members, as this has been kind of discovered, they set things up at the end where you're wondering, is Charlie's fixer, Rudy, is he one of these crooked cops? Or is Costello, you know, despite she's been like so high and mighty this whole entire time, is she one of these crooked cops just because she's asking him to come in and you're wondering like, is something going to happen to him now when he's on the road? Maybe that's just a red herring. But I do wonder if Rudy was killing off these gang members and I go back to how he worked as Charlie's right-hand man, his fixer. And I wonder if Charlie knows something about this because there's that whole conversation that happens at the end of last season that when crime rates are high, it's not good for a democratic candidate. Is it possible that Charlie told Rudy, we have to get the crime rate down and Rudy's saying like, okay, well, we can't be killing kids. on If these kids on the corner are getting killed, because these higher ups are making this gang war decisions, let's get rid of them. 
and then that might end the drug war and get Charlie elected. And then I wonder if Charlie's involved with all this. And the other thing I think about is, is Olivia, I've been trying to figure out this whole entire season, what is Olivia's brought, like he, she seems to be setting things up and we don't see what she's setting up. It's like, what is going on? What is she planning? And now I'm starting to wonder, has she been setting up all these people this whole entire time? Because that would be kind of genius if that's the case. That's what I assumed the whole time. She seems to be the one who's the most ambitious. Yeah, they could be setting it up where she's like ambitious, but reckless, right? She's getting people into trouble. Like these people's necks might be on the line and she's not aware of what she's doing. But the other read is that she knows exactly what she's doing. This has all been setting setting these pieces in motion. And I think that's probably the way we're supposed to read her character because of the fact that you have those moments where Michael is saying, I can't be this person you want me to be. I can't be this spy, super spy and lie to people and all this other stuff. And she just says, I don't expect you to do that. Like, I want you to be yourself. So in a way that she knows that he's going to give himself away or he's going to be too emotionally involved with this baby or whatever, and that she's counting on it in a way. She wants some of her cards to show because she has a bigger trap ahead. And then that would be very satisfying if somehow she's setting up this cop, this dirty cop who is doing these assassinations and maybe setting up Charlie and maybe setting up the Baxters. And basically she has a plan not to catch one person, but to catch all of them. That would be a pretty satisfying finale to this whole thing. I think Gina's behind a lot of this also. Oh, I don't think so. I think she's like such a one-dimensionally crazy character. I think what she's, if not. she's not. No, I mean, that's not my read of her, but what's your theory? I'm thinking maybe she is behind some of the things that are happening in order to get her family up front. Maybe she is even involved with some of these things that are happening on the streets, maybe even with the cop. I don't think so. I think about the fact that when you know we joked about it here on the podcast at one point that she is so reactive in all of her interactions that she, for example, she sends Carlo out to... Um, get revenge. And then he gets caught, he gets arrested. She sends him out again, right after like the day after he gets exonerated, uh, he wears a baseball cap and rolls up on desire. They hog tie him and throw him in the backseat of his car and dump him on his front lawn. And then she comes outside and she goes, you're getting back out there. And it's just like, and like literally, <laughs> literally Jimmy has to be like, yeah, that worked great last time. Like calm down. Like, so, I mean, I, I, I think that you're reading too much into that. I think she is explicitly just a hothead that does not think at all. Uh, and also, by the way, she's purely reactionary. Like even when she had that conversation with her husband, I mean, her husband with her, uh, that's probably Freudian slip there with her dad last week. And uh, she's like sitting on his lap and being like, I wish she was more like you, daddy. (laughs) And he's the voice of reason because she's basically hinting that she wants to have her husband offed. He, you know, even though he doesn't have a great relationship with him was saying like, you know, marriages are tough. You know, you can't just fly off the handle every, every time, you know, you disagree with, with your husband. <laughs> so it's like Carmine of all people is the voice of reason in that situation. So I don't think she's anything other than, you know, uh, she, she has not been shaded in any, anything more complicated than that. I think if anything, she's the one who won't see anything coming because she is so confident that she could just do whatever she wants and get away with it. And uh, I, I think she's going to get blindsided by whatever comes at the end. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think she's, she's the one She's so character. unlikable. Yes. I think she's the one character that we really want to like gleefully see her be taken down. Yeah. She's the number one least likable character in yeah. this entire series. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I have no empathy for her. She's so irritating. 
So yeah. I was hoping there was more to her than that. I'm like, maybe she's got a lot more brains than we're giving her credit for, because then I would be like, wow. But um, yeah, you're probably right. She's probably just there for the drama. And you think about her, all her other, how she's just kind of representative of this very conservative old school way of, of seeing things, even though Jimmy's saying, for example, you can't be a mobster from the Godfather movies, not in this day and age. Nobody's like that anymore. And she's just like, you're weak. You know, and uh, <laughs> when the the priest this week is trying to like win Sophia over, you know, you see her scowling at him like, oh, that's not the way priests are supposed to talk, you know. So she has this very, very rigid view of how things are supposed to be. And once again, I think if anything, there's going to be a moment of reckoning where she's going to be just flummoxed, like shocked by this turn of events. Like, how could this possibly happen? I love that and- word, flummoxed. Flummox very openly, the show is going to want us to <laughs> be happily, gleefully enjoy her comeuppance when it, when that day comes. Because like you said, there's at no moment is there anything sympathetic about her at all. I mean, I guess when, when Rocco dies, actually, that is actually a moment of sympathy for her. But other than that, I mean, her reaction to it in every way has been completely irrational. But she's like that with everything. Like, you know, she... You know, she's like that with the way she makes her cannolis. <laughs> she's she's just furious all the time. She was really efficient with those cannolis. Just eat them <laughs> yes. now. Just eat them. It's what we do. I exactly. made these with my own hands. And you got to eat them now. <laughs> she was on the clock. She's like dessert in forty three minutes. She they look good though. I'm like, I wonder if they look good. She made them really fast. Just smashing down the dough. That was the one time I think I did like her. I'm like, oh, that's impressive. Okay, speaking of characters that are absolutely despicable <laughs> and unlikable in every possible way, <laughs> let's talk about bad sisters. <laughs> oh, that guy was such a jerk. That husband was yes. the worst. He was the worst. I understand, though, that the sisters are... Okay, we can't do spoilers, but... Yeah, that's not the spoilers so yet. Everyone knows he's the worst. Yeah, so this is set up pretty much at the very beginning. I skipped this show. I don't know what kind of show I thought it would be. And by the way, Eva, who's like the main sister in this show, is the actress is called Sharon Horgan. And she's also the writer of the show and the develop, who developed this show. And she also wrote Catastrophe as well. This makes me want to watch Catastrophe even more than I already do. It's definitely on my watch list. I just never have caught up with it. But I loved the way this show was written. I couldn't get enough of it. I kept watching it. I, I think I watched like three, and these are long episodes, like almost one hour long. I watched like three episodes in one night alone. And I was just trying to get through these um, 10 episodes. But the show is based on a Swedish show, I believe, or Danish, I forget. It's set in Ireland, but I'm glad that the, except for one of the uh, characters, the uh, accents are relatively light. So I didn't have to read subtitles all the time. Although for one of the characters, I did indeed have to read subtitles to understand what he was saying. But these five sisters, one of them is married to this absolutely despicable character, John Paul, J.P. Williams, played by Clay Bang. Clay Bang, what a name. People will recognize him from the new Dracula that was rebooted recently. Not very good, but the first episode of that Dracula show was very good. And he plays Dracula in that show, if you saw that. He's also in uh, another show that I recommended here on the podcast, the comedy called The Outlaws, which is actually pretty good, available on Amazon Prime. Oh, and he's in The Northman as well. He's the villain in The Northman, the Viking movie that came out earlier this uh, twenty twenty. He is very villain-like. Yes, he's almost always a villain, by the way. What's amazing in, in his performance, by the way, is that 
over the course of the show, his behavior in flashback, by the way, in flashback, because he's dead at the very beginning of the show, not a spoiler. He literally is dead in the first moments of this series. And you see him go back and forward in time. And what is so great about his performance is that I texted you when I was like halfway through the, the show. This guy is utterly despicable, such a jerk. And yet these girls are their own worst enemies, which I think is the theme of the the, the the series, really. Basically, right after I texted you that and the show progressed, like his villainy becomes more and more overt over the course of the show. But what's so great about him is even at the beginning, when mostly it's just microaggressions, he's so utterly despisable. <laughs> like I hated him so much. But even when nothing he had done was really that bad, he was just annoying and always trying to be right and always trying to manipulate his wife, even these, but in these little ways, even then I couldn't stand him. But then of course, he's, as time goes he's on, great. he's so bad. He's so terrible. Great he's actor. Like yeah. Great. Passive aggressive yet yes. super aggressive. And we agree that passive aggressive is aggressive, but he's, yes. he's also outright aggressive. And then he's and so really, needy, but then so needy oh, at the same time. So needy which is, and yes, so yeah. rapey. And so yes. God, like, every bad thing, yes. <laughs> destructive and so violent. And so like, I mean, the thing he does to his neighbor is yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, so we, we, life destructive. Everything you can think of that is bad yes, about a human exactly. of yes. anyone you've ever not liked in your life. Yes. He's like all of these things. He, yes, he's like every negative stereotype of like a- <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> every one of them, exactly. Every Imagine every way you can be a toxic masculine character, like the whole definition of that, in each way. <laughs> he is all of them. It's pretty incredible. And but, he covers all the narcissistic spectrums oh, yes. also. He's like, woe is me, narcissist. Yep. Yep, I'm exactly. the best narcissist. <laughs> I mean, there's a- a spectrum of narcissism. I had to look it up when I was um, <laughs> online dating because I'm like, wait a second. I think this guy's on a spectrum of narcissism too, but he's so nice. Oh, he's that one. This guy is every narcissist you can possibly research. <laughs> it's every way it's he can to manipulate his wife in, in that he starts off, it could be killing her with kindness or doing something really romantic in, in and on its face seems totally innocent, except that it is to sabotage whatever her current daily plans were. And then if that doesn't work, it gets worse. And then eventually it just becomes overt. But but it's everything. It's belittling her for her just trying to be a, a human being a, a separate from him. It is, it's excruciating. Complimenting before, in a way that is yes. oh also my God, yes. derogatory. Belittling at, the, belittling at the same time. Yeah, exactly. But before we get too far down all these really incredible uh, negative traits, <laughs> because we're only going to talk we only talk about the 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 villain the show only spends some time with him even though he's obviously the catalyst for all of this mostly we spend time with these five different sisters who interestingly also have all these anxieties that modern women probably have whether you're a career woman whether you are an old maid whether you think you are too shallow and flighty whether you think you are too careerist whether you think you are you can't define yourself outside of being a mom. Every version of womanhood is defined in these five sisters as well. So it's really interesting. It's a really interesting way to explore these topics. But I make this sound like it's dense and disturbing. It's really fun. This is a really fun show and funny too. Not always funny, but even when it's not funny, even when things get 
there are thriller elements to this show, absolutely, where they're trying to get away with something, and I won't get into spoilers yet, but it's 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 just a blast. And nobody's a good person in this, by the way. These insurance agents are investigating this suspicious murder, and they absolutely should, because there is something suspicious going on. But simultaneously, they're doing it because they're trying to cover up something shady on their behalf, too. So it's really a lot of fun, and I love the complexity of these characters. I thought the show was really a terrific show I didn't catch up on until now. I kind of missed the boat on it until this moment, but I definitely want to recommend it. My Apple subscription like ran out at one point because I was getting yeah. it for free and I had two episodes to go. I'm like, oh, so disappointed. Do I have to join Apple <laughs> now? To, two, uh, two more episodes. That was, a that, really, that was a really bad time for that. But then episode. I got it back for free and I watched the last two episodes. Totally worth it. But um, yes, very funny because they are hilarious yes. when they're making plans the plans are so funny, actually. And then and they, all they go implement wrong. <laughs> them. Yes, they implement every plan they come up with. Detailed planning ahead of time. What could go wrong? What can we do different? And then they go and they do these things. Don't always work out, really. But yes, very fun. So yeah, so just to, before we get into spoilers, so just to kind of lay out the structure of the show for anybody who wants to catch up on it. And once again, I highly recommend it. It's definitely one of the best shows of last year, I would guess. And it's, I'm not the only one saying that. It basically, was, I mean, when we were recapping at the end of the year and I was working off of that meta critics score, like aggregating the top 10 list across hundreds of critics, this was at like number 12 or number 11. It was very high up on that list, which is part of the reason it popped up again on my radar. Anyway, the structure of the show itself is that these five sisters, this one terrible husband of one of the sisters has died. Not a spoiler. Once again, it's the opening scene of the of the show. We are flashing back in time and forward in time. This insurance investigator does not want to pay out on this life insurance policy. And there's a reason why that they're so doggedly trying to not pay this out. And we find out over the course of the series that they basically are in a financial situation where they can't pay out this insurance claim. It'll bankrupt the company. It's even more complicated than that, but I won't spoil that here pursuing this investigation that nobody else wants to have this investigation done. Meanwhile, the sisters are starting to worry that people are asking questions and that there's going to be something that's going to come to light. And we're wondering, well, what is it? Did one of them or all of them kill this guy off? It's totally understandable as we continue going through these flashbacks. And as you hinted at already, Celia, hilariously, almost every single episode, there is another plan to kill him. And of course, we know the plan doesn't go to, it doesn't actually work because he's still alive. At one point in one of the flashbacks, they try to kill him like a year before he actually dies. So we know he doesn't die then, but it is kind of funny to see them trying to kill him in all these different ways and failing over and over again. So it becomes a mystery too, as you're watching it saying, did they kill him? Or are they just worried that they tried to kill him so many times that during the investigation, they're just going to look guilty? All of this gets resolved very neatly at the end of the season. And as a matter of fact, I think that the season ended so neatly. I'm surprised they brought it back for a second season. Only surprised because obviously the talent is there. The audience was there for this thing. So I'm not surprised that they renewed it for those reasons. I just don't know what story there is to tell in season two, but I'll check it out. I'll definitely check out a season two. We should not like give away the end in the spoilers. We, I think everyone should actually watch this. Because up until the very, very end, I'm wondering, yeah, how did they finally end him? 
Right. Did they did end they? him? Or yeah. Right. Exactly. It's so, open to the very I mean, end. Yeah. Yes. You don't know until the last, what is that? The last 20 minutes? Yeah, probably. It's okay. So let's not spoil the very end because I agree. I think that I was guessing until the very, very end. And I think that's part of the uh, enjoyment, but let's have a, a delineation right now to say this is going to be spoilers. We're going to, I, I want to talk about things that happen later in the series. So we're not going to spoil the very ending, but we're going to talk about things that happen after episode one, episode two. Okay. Yeah. So a few things I want to talk about. One is I did find it really interesting explicitly towards the end of the season, he becomes an overt monster. But the way I was reading the, sh um, the, the show earlier on, he was almost like an avatar of all these negative things that they had in themselves because he is undeniably an absolute irredeemable douchebag. I agree <laughs> with that, right? But over and over again, I thought to myself, like, why don't you ignore him? Or for example, one of the characters, why are you cheating? Like he is calling you out on you being indiscriminate, but you are also being indiscriminate in what you're doing. His wife herself in the fact that they're trying to like rescue her, but she can rescue herself. So I did find it interesting that the show is openly exploring that they have their own internal problems that they're not dealing with. And they all point at him and say, he is like an externalization of all those bad things. So they're trying to kill him off for quite a part of the show, by the way, until you get to episode six or seven, you could read the show exclusively that way. But then of course, when you get later in there, like you mentioned what he does to his neighbor and stuff, he becomes like absolutely irredeemable as a person. <laughs> so that by the end, when you know that he's going to die, which we already knew anyway, but by the end, when we're kind of pretty sure that somebody killed him, you're like, well, yes, <laughs> I have no ambiguity at all at this point as to whether this guy should die or not. Well, the way I saw it was not that he was an avatar. It was just that he happens to be an example of everything <laughs> everything wrong with a narcissistic personality, everything we were talking about, the neediness, the controlling, the passive aggressive, the full on aggression, the right. self-centeredness, et cetera. We could go on for a half an hour on, on just the, his terrible traits, but these women are stuck with him. My point is, imagine you were actually in this circumstance. You can murder this person. <laughs> yes. Or you can have your sister get divorced. They made a decision to say, I don't think we could get her to divorce him. So I guess we're going to murder him. Of course, it turns out over the course of the show to be much more complicated than that. But for quite a period of time, that is a decision that's being made, right? It's just like, he won't let her come swimming with us. I guess he's got to die. <laughs> but they all <laughs> have petty. Petty. a reason to want to oh, yes. murder him. Oh, I, I mean, agree. One, of, it, it, one yes, of them has a missing eye. One of yes. them's been raped. One yes. of them is going to lose her marriage. And yes. it's really sad that she would lose her marriage because she is in a situation that is very stressful at home. She has a lot of responsibilities on her shoulders. Don't get me wrong. This is why I'm saying that I think that it is very empathetic. Almost every problem that these women have that he is exploiting, and he absolutely is exploiting them. I'm not saying that he's not, but almost every single one of these things are things that they can fix themselves. And it's completely relatable. But she even says like she's having an affair because it makes her feel young again. Of course, that is why a lot of women have affairs, but it's not his fault that she's having an affair. No, but he could just leave her alone to go and do her escapism if that's what she needs oh, to do in the moment. I'm not oh, condoning 
but in the same way, but in the same way, but my, my point is only like to have just a tiny bit of empathy for this absolutely horrendous person, which I agree is a terrible, terrible person. I'm just saying that he is definitely always looking for something to nitpick anyone for any behavior, but to him, he is this very toxically masculine. The woman's supposed to, you know, be there to support the husband, blah, blah, blah. He's very religious in his beliefs as well, which of course is just another way for him to extend his ego anyway. But still, he feels like he has the moral high ground in that situation. And he does tell her, I will not text this to your husband if you actually call it off. He only escalates that whole thing, like switching the phone numbers and stuff on the phone, which is disgusting and repellent. But he only does that after he finds out that she has still not broken it off. I'm not saying he's right to do what he does. He absolutely is not right to. But my point is, these are self-inflicted wounds. Um, these traps that they've, these women have stepped into are traps of their own making. He is exploiting them. It's like he is uh, a, a demonic presence that, that is ex, you but, know, basically. <laughs> but I feel like everyone has a right to have their vices and their escapisms and whatever it is that you need to cope with and he should not be in their business. If someone is having an affair for whatever reason, they're having an affair. That's not my business. Oh, and it's absolutely it's, not his business. Yeah. And if, if he, anything, he's like yeah. looking to torture yeah. people. Oh, absolutely. No, that's, that, I would I'm, want uh, to kill him. Oh yeah. <laughs> my, my only point, my only defense of it is that there are other solutions. So for example, here's another perfect example. He calls out that they live at this giant home that they inherited from the parents. He is this terrible, terrible person because he does not give a loan to the youngest daughter to start her massage business. And all the sisters pile in as like, I cannot believe what he did to her. Those sisters, she has gone to those sisters and asked them to lend her money for her business. And they're like, ah, she's kind of flaky. I don't know. You know, I don't want to like get a mortgage on the house and she could blow it. So my point is he's just doing what they are also doing to her. And he is the villain because he is, and, I, and I'm not denying this, an absolutely horrible person, but, but I do not think purpose. it's a mistake. Oh, absolutely. He did it on purpose. But like, I'm I just mean- saying that they're all like, no, you know, she's kind of flaky, so we're not going to give you a loan. He's like, yeah, of course I'll give you a loan. And then she right. goes and she does all these elaborate things and rents this place out. And now she's out of all this money because he gleefully lied yes. to her knowing yes. what was going to happen as opposed yes. to I'm not going to give you any money. You're not very responsible. I really don't feel like this is a good investment for me. He's like, oh, this be a, this is a great opportunity to torture someone again that's why i don't like him (laughs) right and then yeah when you find out and once again i don't think we want to spoil this but when you find out what he's done to to eva the show is little by little making him more and more irredeemable my point is not to defend him at all my purpose is to to talk about what the the people created this show are trying to explore and i think it's not a coincidence that he becomes more irredeemable as we go forward. Because initially, when he is telling his wife, testing her, stay here, just blow them off. So she does. That's really on her. She could say no, but she doesn't. And he knows she's not going to say no. And like I said, with the younger sister, where he is just calling out the fact that they're not going to give you money. 
And I'm going to basically put you in that situation just to humiliate you. I mean, he's definitely enjoying what he's doing to her. But at the same time, it's only doing what his sis the sisters have already done to her, which is, of course, just more salt in the wound. For quite a while in the show, he is just exposing their own shortcomings and all these things that they're not dealing with, he is just exploiting it, right? Until we get to that moment, first of all, I think what he does to the neighbor is absolutely horrible. And then, of course, it's even worse when we find out his history with Eva, right? At that point, he is you know, a, 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 a straight up criminal and a monster, right? And until that point, he's not a criminal, right? He's not a criminal uh, in, on most of these other things. He's just obnoxious jerk. <laughs> and by the way, I think that's intentional that the show doesn't go full on, he's a criminal until we get late into the uh, series because it wants you to explore this, this duality. If they called out immediately in the first episode that he was a straight up criminal, like, a, like had committed violence against these women, and that was explicit at the very beginning of the show, then he would just be like, yeah, he's irredeemable. Get rid of him, right? I think the fact this show doesn't show you that early on is so you have this ambiguity of like, these women really need to take care of their own shit. <laughs> you know, that tension is what makes the show so interesting to watch. Plus you want to smack him. Oh, and that, that's I, my I'm, point. I think he's fun. I think he's fun. I want yes, him to come to a yes. family dinner just so I can just get slowly enraged and just right. walk over and, and, and just start smacking him in the face. Even if he smacks me back, I would be like, smack, smack. We would have exactly. like, <laughs> you just yeah. want to smack him immediately yeah. though. It's a great, great performance because he is not a one-dimensional monster. And we don't even see his full history uh, when he was a kid, but we see that so much of this toxicity comes from his own weakness, his own lack of confidence, right? Like he is not only a pompous ass when he gets that promotion, he's also terrified of not getting the promotion. And you see that? So he is so utterly weak. At the same time, he is a demon, like literally like someone out of hell who is ter ter terrorizing these women, torturing them in these passive aggressive, usually passive aggressive, but sometimes overt ways as well. So it's a, a great performance for all those reasons, but it also makes the show so entertaining to watch because- even when you don't think he's a criminal, <laughs> you 100% understand that even early on, I'm like, they shouldn't kill him, like on the face of it, they shouldn't kill him. But I really want to see them kill him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't he's like so dislike, He's so dislikable. <laughs> so dislikable. It's, it's, it's incredible. Incredible. Like every time he's on screen, your skin just crawls. It's incredible. Incredible performance. Yep. I agree. That It was fun. Yes, absolutely yes. fun. So much fun. And yeah. horrifying. And yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think I'm so successful about this. It's a unique tone. Uh, once again, I do not know what the Danish show was like. Maybe it had the same tone, but I think it's an incredible tight wire act of being able to have this thriller elements, have its comedy, and have this utterly disdainable character that you kind of root to see him die. Like it's it's a it's a weird mix of things, <laughs> but it's it's really great. Like I think it's uh you you know something different, and I think that's part of the reason I enjoyed it so much. It's just not that what you usually is not just just not a usual show at all, and I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah, when I was watching it, I kept thinking, oh, I can't believe him. This is 
just awful. He's the most awful person. I <laughs> hope they kill him. I wonder how they kill him. Like I was rooting for them, even though they're all very flawed, but so is everybody. I was yeah. rooting for them to just off him and I couldn't wait to see how. And then you come, I mean, as you're watching, you're like, did they kill him? That's why I'm saying like, right. let's not mm -hmm. even, cause I was like, I don't know what's going on exactly. I see where they're going and what they're trying to do. And everything is such a failure, which was very funny, actually. There are some very funny failures. So, yes. yeah. Although, speaking of bad behavior uh, and bad sisters in general, there are multiple times where not only do they injure people, they could have killed somebody. And they do kill I know. a dog. <laughs> and they do oh, kill a dog. <laughs> and then that thing that happened at the range was yes, pretty depressing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. they're they're pretty destructive too. And they keep doubling down anyway. So my point is they are not, I mean, I don't think we're supposed to see them as heroic, but we absolutely empathize with them. Are, like how many innocent creatures are going to die? How many people are going to lose eyes or whatever? Uh, because you guys will refuse to have that conversation with your sister to be like, you really, really have got to divorce this guy. <laughs> Yeah, or yeah, just let rather, her. Rather than that, they're like, hey, you know, we'll just destroy four or five other people's lives or around let us. her hang out with him if that's the case. I'd be like, listen, I can't or hang out away. with him. Yeah, or walk Here's away. Here's a hundred thousand reasons why I refuse yeah. to interact with your husband. Um, yes. I don't care. Do you want me to draw you the pictures? Like, what, what do you need from me to explain why I can't talk to him? What are you doing with him? And they're like, we're going to save her. We're just gonna kill him and save her. Exactly, exactly. It's, it, it, they're in a way, they're it's their own bizarre, uh, toxic way of dealing with things. Rather than dealing with them straight on, they deal with them all incorrectly, and that's why I'm saying that. Like when you think about the affair, I don't think that that sister is having a healthy affair, if you could even call it that, because not only because it's behind her husband's back, but it's the fact that this is how they deal with everything, right? Like they have a fundamental issue, and they don't address it directly. They go about it this other way. So for example, Eva is being sabotaged at work by this jerk. She doesn't have to work at the same place. Think about what happened to Eva. She has to work with this guy every day. He's going to be her boss. Get yourself out of <laughs> yeah. this situation, lady. And here's another example. And now I'm going to spoil the end. So tune out right now if you guys plan to watch this show. But I'm not going to spoil the thing you didn't want me to spoil. I'm going to spoil something different. But think about how the whole entire time they're thinking like, oh, my God, this inspector, this, these um insurance inspectors are going to figure out what happened. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then how do they resolve that issue? Does someone confess to it or whatever? No, they dropped the claim. So they wanted to kill this guy and collect the insurance money. That's what they were trying to do. And they're like, I guess we have to drop the insurance claim and all their problems go away. So think about that. They wanted to collect the money also. <laughs> <laughs> so my point is that like, it's very easy to see him as being absolutely toxic and he 100% is, and they are absolutely sympathetic. Like we root for them, but think about it. Like they are all, they are the root of all of their own problems. Like I said, they could have dropped that insurance claim at any time. Those inspectors would stop knocking on their doors and think about it. The sister who has the claim open is the one in the end who did the thing in the first place. She knows exactly what happened. So it, it's, and this is the type 
of behavior that they exhibit over and over again. So I don't think you're supposed to see them as heroic at all. They're like incredibly flawed and they create almost all the problems that their own problems for themselves. But uh, I wasn't but I don't rooting mean, for them a, because I like them. That's not negative. I meant that in the positive. Not that I, mean, I didn't like them. Yeah. I was rooting I like for them just because I, like I hate him. Yes, So I'm exactly. like, kill him, kill him. I want you to kill him. But like, yes, they, they definitely had some very passive aggressive tendencies also like the yeah. sister who was married to him was getting on my nerves because she was just kind of oh no they shoot somebody's you know? eye out and then the next I time they're like, <laughs> they killed the so dog bad. they killed the dog what if someone else ate the liver just by chance what if the daughter wanted to try liver one time or if he forced her to because it's good for her iron levels you're gonna kill somebody in that house rather than have a conversation that is crazy behavior <laughs> crazy behavior they end up murdering someone in a freezer. Think about that. Yes. Think about <laughs> and another example of how they are so toxic. These sisters are toxic in their own way. They make the excuse that we have got to do something because if he killed his dad, then we want to protect that old lady. If he'll kill his dad, he'll definitely kill her for the money. And then they kill her. And then they don't even feel, <laughs> they don't even feel that bad about it afterwards. Supposedly, the reason they did this was to protect her. They kill her. And then they don't even feel bad about it. In like, such they a are, they are toxic terrible people. way. I would hate to die like that. Yeah. 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 And we could go on about all the other terrible things that happen so to the people around things. them. They do such terrible things to everybody. Yes. I still like them because their united mission to off this person is so admirable in the show, the way they set it up. He, he's a great actor because I, yes. I, I hate him even like if I were to see him right now, like in CBS or something, I'd be like, I hate him. <laughs> just punch I him in the face. I hate that guy. <laughs> On principle. I just want to smack him. Yeah. I mean, he's so unlikable. So good job there. Oh, and uh, I think another reason that we kind of feel sympathy for these women is that as absolutely horrible as all the decisions they've made are up to this point, that by the time you get to the end, when you're kind of starting thinking like, wow, these women are taking things too far. In parallel with all these terrible things, we also discover some of the the things that he's done are not just passive aggressive and you know being obnoxious and manipulative to his wife, which unfortunately a lot of men are, that it's like it's much worse than that. So it's almost as as they escalate, we find out more of the bad things he's done. But most importantly, I think, is that you really honestly feel, and this could be completely wrong, and maybe it'll turn out to be the case in season two, but you really honestly feel that these women with him out of the picture will like get their shit together, right? So uh that might not be true. <laughs> <laughs> but we do feel like that is the case, right? I hope so, because... <laughs> Eva will get I'm her so... promotion. Uh, yeah. You know, th 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 this, uh, this wife and her daughter, uh, you know, don't have to deal with this incredibly toxic man They'll screwing... marry with... yeah. to someone who's wealthy and very nice, and they don't have to worry about the insurance money. Wouldn't that all be adorable? Yeah, like, exactly. if they opened... The next, you know, it'd be funny though. Well, season two can't I, be like that though. <laughs> I would love season two with uh, her remarrying someone. Oh, another toxic guy! Another oh my god, how incredible would that be? How incredible that would be amazing. <laughs> I would love that, that. That is actually maybe the best way to go with season two because then it would prove my point. That would be amazing though. I hope that is season two. So this is approximately where I lost my internet connectivity, and I had to go have dinner anyway. So we wrapped up this conversation there. We both very much enjoyed 
the show, although we had different perspectives on it. And I think that's part of the pleasure of this show, which once again, I highly recommend. On Monday, stay tuned for our next recap episode discussing the sixth episode of The Last of Us, along with those belated Valentine's Day recommendations that I've been promising for about a week now. So stay tuned for all of that. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon.